We're bringing you more conversations from our Investing Experts podcast, abridged conversations from our most recent episodes. David Trainer, longtime Seeking Alpha contributor, CEO of New Constructs, an investment research firm. Look for David Trainer's articles on Seeking Alpha. And all investing experts' podcast episodes are available with full transcripts on Seeking Alpha. Also, any article mentioned in this podcast will be available on the show notes, which is in the episode description on whatever podcast platform you may be listening to. And if you're invested in the markets, I hope you are listening to our flagship podcast, Wall Street Breakfast, so those searching for insight, investing, news, reporting, and analysis, look no further than Wall Street Breakfast podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation. What would you designate as as these mini bubbles when you look at the market right now? Everything on our zombie stock list. <laughs> we created a zombie stock list right at a year ago, and it's been a pretty phenomenal for performer. Obviously, the uh, second half of last year, the great, the very beginning of this year, there's a bit of a, a return to, to to nuttiness, and we, we've seen it even out quite a bit. Yeah, the zombie stock list is com- are companies that are burning so much cash that they have less than 24 months of runway. So they have so little cash that they're not going to be able to support their current cash burn rate for more than 24 months. A lot of times, it's just a couple of months a few months. And then we've seen companies have to raise more capital uh, or cut staff, cut spending drastically. Um, so it's, first of all, very limited runway, very limited prospects. Look at bad business model. Almost all of our zombie stocks came from our danger zone stock list. So these were already bad stocks, bad business, but zombie stocks were, were our stocks that we believe will go to zero because they're running out of money. We're in an environment where raising new capital is very expensive and punitive, right? I mean, rates are a lot higher. I don't know if you tried to, you know, if you look lately, the mortgage rates are a lot higher. HELOC is a lot higher. Everybody's like, you know, and with rates being higher and money on the margin becoming tighter, we think lenders are going to be less likely to lend. Like if this company, this stuff company's been losing a ton of money and they've just been rolling over their debt, do you really want to be in the, you know, you know, hoping that the music doesn't stop when it's your loan that needs to be repaid? Uh, and, and lastly, they got a negative interest coverage ratio. So they don't have enough money to cover their interest payments. So yet another reason why if they do have to borrow more money to continue the cash burn, uh, another reason why lenders would be unlikely to lend or they, if they do lend, will be at a much more expensive rate. So we've got about, I think, 30 stocks on that list and it's a variety of industries. Uh, so, you know, a couple, um, you know, a lot of them come from the IPO time frame. Um, but when I think about pockets, it's it's technology, it's it's restaurant concepts, it's electric vehicles, certain of certain of those, everything from Shake Shack and Sweetgreen to Wayfair to Oatly, Compass, Sunrun, Uber, Redfin, Carvana, Lucid Rivian. What would you say about uh Uber? Uh, I'd say that's a business that, you know, it's a commoditized industry. Right? How many taxi drivers do you know uh, that are billionaires, right? Or taxi companies, right? Uh, they've been burning cash at a, at, at a great rate. Uh, they can't do it forever. Um, you know, it, it was the corporate governance there was been horrendous. It was only within the last 
I think six or 12 months that they admitted that their primary KPI adjusted EBITDA was a bad KPI because it did not result in profits, right? So really until a short while ago, Rena, they were saying to the world, we're we're doing great with our adjusted EBITDA. And then when, when, when the Fed changed its stance definitively uh, about a year ago, a few months later, you know, when, when all of a sudden the PU world said, oh, it's not just about growth. We know we care about you can, unit economics and we care about profits now. Oh, so, you know, how's that for a change in, in, in talk, right? Oh, we care about profits now. Well, then the Uber people had to come out and say, the Uber CEO, yeah, we're not going to use this KPI anymore because guess what? It was a complete joke. He didn't use those words, but that's the words I would use when you say that a KPI for a business doesn't have anything to do with profitability or actually what's good for the business. That's a bad thing. Uh, valuation is still extremely expensive. And, and yeah, I just don't, I think they're going to have a really hard time getting any more debt um, or continue to fund this business because it's just not a lot of profit to be made. I mean, there's, you know, what, give me, tell me what the competitive advantage is for any of these businesses and how hard is it or not hard, how simple is it for other companies to do, to start up and, and compete? You know, there's not, they're not really major, many barriers to entry uh, for what Uber is doing. And, you know, when you ask the bankers, as I have talked to bankers who worked on this deal or the Lyft deal, the best they can ever come up with for me when I say, hey, so what is the competitive advantage? Why why should someone invest in this? Uh, and of course, this is off the record, right? Uh, their answer is, well, they can raise more money than other people. <laughs> right? And I guess when, you're, when your KPI is a number that doesn't result in profitability uh, and you have a license to burn more money, I guess that makes it a, in the short term, a better investment. Long term, I think it makes it a zombie stock. Fine line. So let's get to some good news. What do you like? What, what's, what are some of the stocks that you're long that you would advise investors to check out? So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty wide variety. You know, we've, we've written fairly recently on stocks like Valvoline. You know, I think that's a great, you know, good old business. Those, those uh, instant oil change businesses, it's, it's great, right? I mean, it's... Uh, very profitable, growing, uh, feeding a, a world where people don't change their own oil anymore. Uh, EVs need 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 that need maintenance, regular maintenance as well. So they're not going away because oil changes are going away. And by the way, oil changes aren't going away all that fast. I think they're still you know going to be growing for a while. Um, you know, we we like some of the legacy automakers. We think part of the micro bubble with the AV startups means that there's an excess amount of capital there that's been effectively taken away from Ford and GM, and that those that those firms will leverage what will prove to be the more important advantage, which is scalability, manufacturing expertise, into the EV space. They'll catch up on the technology front, and it'll ultimately be the the uh, scale that they have in place that is very expensive. And so far, really, really, I don't think Tesla has delivered on. I don't think they've sustainably generated sustainably generated profits at Tesla. I think a lot of it's false from regulatory credits. And I think a lot of it's false from uh, a really big cutback in, in R&D and other kinds of expenses that they're going to need in order to to not not fall behind as fast because they're no longer staying ahead. They're losing market share in pretty much every market. We just got and we just had a conversation a bull bear debate around Tesla and, and they were echoing some of those points. So you feel like GM or Ford could overtake them easy in the EV space? Eventually, yeah. It's yeah. not gonna happen tomorrow. Yeah. But this is a big slow moving industry. Yeah. I mean, think about how long Tesla's been around. 
right? And, and um, you know, look, um, Elon Musk is one of the greatest hypesters of all time. I mean, the amount of capital he's raised for that business and what he's been able to do. And it's been, in many ways, great for the electric vehicle business. Has it been good for society? Have we tried to push too much money into that? And are a lot of people going to lose a lot of money? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but does, does it help change some behavior? That part is good. You know, that for sure is good. I mean, I think Elon Musk has done some good things and some bad things. Uh, it's hard to paint people with one brush. We're, yeah. we're dynamic creatures. Uh, he's not the savior. He's not the devil. <laughs> well uh, AutoZone and O'Reilly, right? P keeping on the car theme. Uh, those have been two extremely successful picks for us, and we still think they look good. You know, and 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 again, they, they, you know, these are just great business models, very efficient that people overlook because they're not as sexy. Let's see here. What else is is on the on the list? You know, oh, for sure, meme stocks are on this. A couple of those are on the zombie stock list. Some of those have got a lot of money though, so they're 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 uh, they're going to be around for a while. Uh, you know, when we when we get into the the, the nuts and bolts around basic materials, um, warrior warrior met coal is extremely interesting stock. Uh, people, a lot of people think coal ESG it's it's terrible. Um, but there are two types of coal. There's metallurgical coal and there's thermal coal. Thermal coal is the stuff that does most of the pollution. It's used to create electricity, used to create heat, uh, big pollutant. Then there's the metallurgical coal that's required to create steel or, or, or use in about 80% of steel production. And we need steel like it's going out of style. We need steel to build all the solar panels and turbines. I mean, in fact, steel is, is one of the most important ingredients in all of the green energy infrastructure. Uh, we need we need steel to build cars. We need we need steel to build machines. Um, you know, and, and so uh, the, this 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 metallurgical coal company has just been decimated valuation wise. If it's going to go out of business, and yet it's supplying one of the most important ingredients to one of the most important, I think sector you know call it sector but uh, groups of companies uh drivers in, in the world and that's steel steel demand and for that matter we like a couple steel companies Nucor and, and um steel dynamics uh they're the, you know all these stocks are trading as if their profits are profits are going to permanently decline by 40 or 50 percent and would you put that just at the sector that they're in uh i i put it i put it like specifically for steel so basic materials is a bigger picture and i, I think there's other opportunities similar to that that are kind of coming back to the theme I mentioned before. You know, we're getting ahead of ourselves on the big picture with AI and, and, and things just, you know, and robots doing things, right? But what's building the machines? What's building the robots, right? What what do we need for that? We still need steel. We still need steel for all the stuff that keeps the, 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 the world going in its current form. So, um, uh, and we still need a lot of basic materials for that matter. And so, yeah, I think th those are examples of those kinds of opportunities. If that, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, I think it does. Um, what are you looking at in the financials? Uh, we like Zion's Bancorp. We like Discover Services. Uh, Discover, we, we we put that on our long list a few months ago. It's done extremely well. I think, I'm not sure on Zion's. I think it's still relatively flat. Uh, both of those are businesses that have got great underwriting and good capital cushions. Uh, I also like Schwab. Uh, Schwab's capital cushion and ratios aren't quite as strong, but it's a more diversified business. Uh, and so I think there's some potential near-term pressure on Schwab and having to, to sort of raise some more funds. But ultimately, I think you're going to get, you're getting Schwab now at a great discount. Uh, and same as, same for Zions. 
Same for Discover. They're all trading as if they're, well, Zions and Discover trading it as if profits will permanently decline by a huge amount. Schwab is just way cheaper than we've seen in a long time. And we just think it's one of the most prime, great businesses in the financial sector uh, out there. Uh, similar with JP Morgan. You know, I've said that JP Morgan is safer than an index fund. Why? Because I think uh, when I say index fund, I mean like the S&P 500. Because the S&P 500 has got so much junk in it right now uh, with respect to technology and narrative-driven, speculative-driven stocks. Whereas JP Morgan is just, uh, I mean, it's big, diversified, best returns on capital in the business, huge amount of free cash flow. I think the beta on JP Morgan is going to be, be better than the beta on the S&P 500. And I think... Uh, through and through, overall, you've just got a better overall profile of a business. If you aggregate all of the all of the companies up for the S and P five hundred, you're looking, you know, at uh, you know a free cash flow real of, of of around three percent. You know, and J P Morgan's got six percent. Um, you're looking at you know higher returns on capital but not as good at trends in economic earnings for the S&P 500 versus S&P versus JP Morgan. Um, when you're looking at valuation for JP Morgan, you know, you've got a, a price that implies a permanent 20% decline in profits. The S&P level, you're looking, you know, at, at a price that implies a 450% improvement in profits. And the net present value of future profits is 450% of what current profits are. That's what's baked into the price of the S&P 500. Baked in the price of JP Morgan is a permanent 20% decline in profits. So risk reward here is just phenomenally better. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll see you soon with a new episode.